Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Before we jump in, I just wanted to announce the Adventure Grant. We're going to be awarding those very soon. So keep your ears out for and eyes out for a an episode released. It's going to be a bonus episode. And we're going to announce the winners of the Adventure Grant. We have three winners, each for different tiers of what they're going to receive. And those folks are also going to be committing to being on the show once they complete their adventure later in the year. So uh, be looking out for that. It's going to be awesome. And also, I'm recording this in my living room, so if you you feel like like there's an echo, that's why. I didn't have time to go to the studio. said the same thing on Thursday, and the same thing is true today. (laughs) But the good news is the episode was was recorded in a studio, so it sounds great. Uh, But Steph Jagger is uh, an author, kind of unintentional author, I guess you could say, and we dive into that. But she has two books that are out, and we kind of talk about both of them. One is Unbound that came out a few years ago about her leaving her uh, kind of a great life, you know, her career and what she had built to ski four million feet, vertical feet in the course of a year. And she travels all over the world basically chasing snow to make that happen and, and, and tells that story. And the most recent book is Everything Left to Remember. It's a story about her and her mother, uh, right after her mother's diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's, she said, you know, we, we got to go do an adventure together, create some memories, something we can always hold on to and look back on and know that we made the most of this time together. And so we're going to dive into just those two stories, the concepts around them, uh, a little bit of her background, how she got to this point, how she became a writer, all that. Pretty interesting conversation and kind of a unique conversation because a lot of these adventures we talk about on this show are, you know, folks just wanting to go do personal things, great achievements. Uh, but sometimes, you know, there, there's a much bigger, deeper purpose behind it. And for Steph, just connecting with her mom and experiencing not the most hardcore adventure, just like being out there with him. And I, and I have to agree, like, you know, sometimes it's not about how many mountains or how far you go. It really is about being with people. And I, I'm finding that my, I prefer those kinds of trips more and more as I get older. So beautiful stories. If you want to check out the books, you can go to her website. Again, those are Unbound and Everything Left to Remember. And you can find them both at stephjagger.com, just her name.com, or, and also follow her at, at stephjagger on uh, Instagram. Yeah, let's go ahead and jump in. Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. You heard a little bit of Steph's story in the intro. Steph Jagger, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am doing so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for this conversation. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, we were talking a little bit before we hit record and I mentioned uh, some, some your windows. You have this beautiful cedar outside. Where, where are you coming from? Where where are cedars like that grown? Where is that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I am coming from Bainbridge Island, which is about a 30-minute ferry ride from downtown Seattle. So if anybody ever watched Grey's Anatomy, it's the island Derek lived on. That's, that's what I like to say. That's awesome. That's so Uh, Pacific Northwest. I know that you're not, you're not from there, correct? Where are you from? Where, where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. So actually not, not terribly far from here. And I didn't grow up with a cedar, like the cedar tree that you, that you saw earlier on, on my property, but this is really familiar nature and geography to the Pacific Northwest part of, of the corner of Canada that I grew up in. 
So not terribly far. And then, and then I did spend about, you know, when I first moved to the States, I was in Southern California for about seven years. This move back to the Pacific Northwest has felt very similar to moving quote unquote back home. What a wonderful area. I used to have, I had a good friend for a long time in Silverdale, I think near you. Oh yeah. In yeah, Bainbridge. That's really, really close. Is yep, it? Okay, really cool. Close. Yeah. Yep. I spent some time with him and I would leave my bike at his house for sure. Uh, when for I would sure. fly back home, home is Florida. So I, I'd get out of the winter and leave my uh-huh. bike there and then leave all my stuff and come back out in the spring and, and bike around right. and then then leave it again. So yeah, I really, yeah. really enjoyed my time up there. Yeah, that's about a 30-minute drive from our house. So oh, real no, close. Okay, a little bit farther yeah. west, I think, towards Olympics. Yep. So that's that's yep. really cool. So, you know, you, you said you grew up uh, or you're from not too far, uh, Vancouver area. Yeah. You know, I know, I know, obviously, your books, you get into, you know, your interest in the outdoors and just, you know, the adventure sports of skiing. What did you grow up doing? What were your parents bringing you into? What did you discover on your own? What What was kind of the foundation that was laid there? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. My Both of my parents, you know, ha- have always been athletic, but not outdoorsy. And so we were, we were highly encouraged as kids to join any and all sports that we showed an interest in, whether that was, you know, playing for the high school basketball team or taking gymnastics as a little kid, those were all encouraged when we were little. And then the main sport we did as a family was, was skiing. There was also some water skiing, but I was, I was pretty little for for that back then. But Skiing was the was the kind of athletic endeavor that was, for the most part, kind of like the center of of our family athleticism, if you want to call it that. Sports, but not outdoorsy. What what do your parents like to do? My parents, when we were growing up, I mean, they were they were tennis and squash, and as I said, like you know, some skiing, like on on piste skiing water skiing, they, they were re- just really, really active people in, in a way that didn't involve like compasses and maps and, and camping and, you know, g- getting dirty and, you know, all of those types of things. So that's, and, and they always had been, my mom, you know, ran track and field when she was in high school and, and was just really, really active all through, you know, all through our lives. Siblings. How many siblings did you have? So I had three older siblings. If and when we get into the book, there, there's also an additional sibling, and that's a whole other story. But there was four of us who grew up together. I was the youngest and three older siblings. And they were also, you know, really, really active. My sister, not, my eldest sister, not as much, but she still played, you know, high school sports. And my brothers were extraordinarily active in ice hockey, you know, you know, kind of Canadian dream. Like they played, they played a lot of ice hockey. I think my mom spent a lot of times at the rink early mornings and soccer and baseball. And, you know, there was a lot of that kind of activity. Rugby was, was another sport that was, that they played that I then played in high school and university. So that was a, um, you know, big part of our lives. You know, for a lot of folks that listen to this show, it starts off with traditional sports, team sports uh, yeah. that are outdoors, yes, but not outdoorsy, then they discover nature. They discover adventure sports and discover like this deep appreciation for at the outdoors and nature, the mountains, the ocean, whatever that medium is for you. And personally, like, and for a lot of people that listen, it becomes less and less about the sport, more and more about nature. And so 
when did you start seeing that switch? Was it through skiing or was it through, you know, hiking? What, what, when did you start understanding maybe just how wonderful the outdoors around where you grew up, especially was? I think if I was to go back in time, I'd probably pinpoint, you know, two or three things. One of which was in, in the city that I grew up in, in Vancouver, there was a program, a high school program that happened in, in 10th grade called Trek. And I can't remember what that stands for. It's an acronym for something. And it was kind of this opportunity where, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, ninth graders would apply to go to this program from all different schools across the city. And only a handful would get selected to go into this program, which they spent half of the year in school and half of the year doing outdoor and environmental education. And so I didn't actually go to that program, but what ended up happening is, you know, a whole bunch of kids from the city did. And then many of them after that 10th grade program came back to their original schools in grade 11. And when those kids came back, they had been, you know, really exposed to the outdoors in a particular way and developed a know-how, a knowledge, a respect for they'd done kayaking trips, they'd done camping trips, they'd done, you know, ice glacier expeditions, they'd, they had done so much. So I think that was such an infusion. In, in the 11th grade, I just remember all of a sudden people were more interested, friends were more interested in, in getting outdoors. And so that, I think, played a big role in early introductions. I felt as though I had a lot of friends who had a bit more know-how than I had than I did in, the, in regards to the outdoors and were really excited to get out and, and explore. That would be number one. The second thing is, although my parents, you know, as I said, they were they were athletic and not outdoorsy. It doesn't mean we didn't spend time outdoors. And I and I do remember as a kid, you know, just watching my mom and and she, she her energy really shifted in nature, positively so. I mean, like most of ours does, but but I just remember watching her kind of in awe of different surroundings. She seemed to be, her quality of presence and her energy just, you know, as I said before, shifted ever so slightly. And and that was always intriguing to me. Like, you know, when when I'm in nature with mom, like nature does something to her. And that was an interesting observation, I think, as a as a child growing up and then moving into my... And, w- and what is that thing you, th- you think? What's... How do you describe it? I would describe it as as awe. You know, when you, when you are surrounded by something that is both bigger than you, but you also feel connected to, you know, you, you, you all of a sudden are more present and your energy slows and you're more available, you're more curious, you're calmer. You know, I just kind of watched a lot of her day-to-day worries go away, you know, when we were particularly in front of water. And I talk a lot about that in my second book, but I I think watching her, you know, we didn't, we didn't have any, you know, spiritual or religious upbringing as kids. And so I think, I think those were bordering on kind of a spiritual experience for her, um, at least an at one moment of some kind. And I think I just noted that as a, the third thing, which is which is more more obvious, is you know as I started to ski more and more, I just got more and more curious. Like, okay, what what you know? Now I'm hearing about backcountry skiing, and now I'm hearing about avalanche courses, and now I'm hearing about you know a variety of different things that I I kind of kept you know walking further and further into, 
you know, until I decided to kind of do this much, much larger undertaking, which became the year long ski trip that I took. And that was really like, okay, now you're, now you're really going to spend a huge amount of time in nature by comparison to any of the other years in your life. And that was a, that was kind of an immersion that hasn't really hasn't left me since then. It didn't affect your dad the same way. You know, you know, sure, it did. Like, he enjoys being in nature. He'll say, oh, my gosh, look at that view. Or, you know, (laughs) I'd like to take a picture of this. It's it's not, it's not like he doesn't, he's not like he's angry at nature. Right, right. But I think there was a more noticeable difference in my mom. I speak about this a lot in the second book. I, I think she is a naturally more introverted person and and probably would prefer the kind of silence that nature offers. And my dad, you know, similarly to me in a lot of ways, you know, really likes to be in conversation. And and I think sometimes is so immersed in the conversation that he might even miss the vista, so, so to speak. It was a more noticeable thing in my mom, for sure. So tell us about kind of the events leading up to your first book in Unbound. When did, when did you discover or what was kind of your process through your writing career early on before your first book? Falling in love with writing, maybe you didn't fall in love with it. There's plenty of good <laughs> writers that don't like to write, <laughs> but uh, how, what was that for you? So I did not have a writing career at all. I did not have an MFA. I did, you know, the, the writing really came much, much later. It came after the skiing. The lead up to that, to that year-long ski trip, you know, I was I was in Vancouver. I was in my late 20s. I I had a, you know, what I would call a good life, but it, but it, I didn't feel like it was great. I, I just felt like there was something missing. And so, you know, I was up in the I was up in the mountains with some friends. I, I had a job in in marketing and PR and I was up in the mountains with some friends one day and and just kind of blurted out, like, wouldn't it be great to spend a year doing this? And, you know, we had a good chuckle, like, you don't have enough money, you're not a good enough skier, you're, you know, what about your mortgage? What about your job? You know, all this stuff. And, you know, we got to the top of that chairlift. I, you know, I've been on chairlifts many, many times prior to this, and I'd seen this sign many, many times prior to this, but that, that raise your restraining device sign, the sign that is at the top, well, at the bottom of the chairlift, when you get on, it says lower restraining device. It's the safety bar that comes down for people who are listening that don't ski. And when you get to the top of the chairlift, it says raise the bar so you can actually get off the lift. And it said, raise your restraining device. And I, I just kind of thought, huh, like, I wonder what is holding me back. Like, if I wanted to do something like that, like, is it the mortgage? Is it the money? Is it the career? Like, what, you know, what if I examined those things? And got a little bit curious. And over time, it took a, it took a while. It took about a year and a half after that moment before I actually left on the trip to kind of launch into, you know, let me let me see if I can immerse myself in the three things that I love, which are to travel and and to ski and and to write. So this takes me to the writing component. I didn't I liked to write like in my journal. I didn't ever, ever think that was a career or a viable avenue or I hadn't studied it. I wasn't like honing my craft, quote unquote. Um, so when I went on the ski trip, it wasn't until after I got back from that, about four years later, that I kind of thought, oh, I think I'm supposed to write about this. Four years later. Yeah. And I, you know, I wrote a lot while I was on the trip, but really just like emails to f- friends and family. You mentioned how you came up with the idea. I thought it was a chuckle, but what what led to taking those steps because that's what's cool about that is like without obviously without unbound you wouldn't probably have 
everything left to remember maybe would have maybe that would have come about too but i feel like it maybe it had a much better chance because unbound came first absolutely yeah but that was contingent upon you leaving this this life you had built that by all account was a good life that you talked about that's right take us through the thought process behind cuz that's i know that's what unbound is about a lot a lot of what that's about take us through the process uh, of basically disrupting your entire life to pursue this this pretty crazy idea like we're pretty crazy on this show we talk about people doing a lot of stuff that's a crazy idea that's up there you know that's up there with some of the, the crazier ones why disrupt everything let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible that is plenty of that for now let's get back into the episode yeah, like quit your life, sell everything, and and uh, and ski for a year. Yeah, I think when, when I first thought of it, so so I had that moment, as I said, on the chairlift, and I and I got home, and I thought, well, you know, what are the things? And I spent a couple of weeks just ruminating, like chewing on it in my head, like you know, is it finances? And if it, if it is, could I sell this house? Like, what what does that mean? Or is it my career? Like, am I am I that attached to it? Like, no, not really, you know. So I, I kind of ruminated on a bunch of stuff and I, I landed in a place that I thought, okay, I think I could do something like this, like a, a large, and, and originally it started off as I've really only skied in this area of the world. Like they, they always say it's the best. Is it really? Like, I wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if, you know, if I explored and, and, and really kind of, and, and when I got back, it became like, well, I think I'd need a goal to, to make this worthwhile. Like I'm a goal oriented person. And what if I took what I, what I skied on average on an average weekend day? What if I made it my full-time job and I did that five days a week? Like how many vertical feet would that be? You know, and I kind of made a calculation and, you know, I was, I was, I was kind of, at, you know, ruminating on it, chewing on it, calculating it, like kind of what, what would this be like? hypothetically, you know, and I landed in a place where I thought, okay, I think I could do this, but I don't think I could do it alone. I think I would need a person to do it with from, from a motivational standpoint, from a, a financial standpoint, like it would split a lot of the costs from a safety standpoint. Like there was a lot of different reasons. And so there was a conversation with 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 a few different friends. Hey, would you be interested? And and there was some initial interest. And one person in particular was quite interested. I was like, great. So we got together and started planning. And <clears throat> at some point, I don't know, maybe two months in, she's like, you know what, Steph, I can't do this. Like, this is too much for me. And so I put it on the back burner. This was still at the idea phase. You hadn't. This was actually still started. still yeah, absolutely still at the idea. And what was the idea early. at this point to ski? the same amount you do on like a full day of skiing for an entire year. Yeah. Kind of five days a week, like a Monday to Friday job and, and to do so kind of circumnavigating the globe. And what was your, since, since riding was going to come later, you didn't know that was going to be a, as big a part of it as it, it became. What was the outcome in your mind? The outcome in my mind was you're going to you're going to circumnavigate the globe and you're going to ski 4 million feet as you do it. That was the thing I had landed on. And that was a world record at the time too, right? Yeah, and I, well I didn't I didn't know this. So <laughs> so at the time I I had no clue. I didn't I just 
I just did the calculation and and was like, well, yeah, that that's that's like a carrot on the end of the stick, and and I think that would keep me motivated. You know, three quarters of the way through the trip, after you know every single person had asked, is that a record? I looked it up, and four million feet was just shy of of the Guinness record, and I thought, well, if I can ski four million, you know, the the, the record would be four or five extra days. So if I can get to four million, I can get to the record, which I ended up doing. The early phases when that person kind of said, hey, I don't think I can do this, I, I put it on the back burner. A couple of months went by and another friend of mine said, hey, you know, I remember you talking about this trip. Like, I haven't heard you talk about it in a while. Like, is that not happening? And I was like, well, I don't know. I was, you know, kind of hedging. And she said, would you regret not doing it, not seeing it through? Like, you know, fast forward 10 years, 15 years, would you regret not doing it? And it was just immediate out of my mouth. Yes. Like without even thinking. And she said, well, I think you've got your answer. Like you've got to figure out a way to do this. It was interesting actually, right after that, we, we were driving on the Sea to Sky Highway in Vancouver, Whistler, and, and, and we hit a deer quite badly. <laughs> like right, right at, it was a very big punctuation mark on the conversation. And so from, from there, I thought, you know, she's right. I, I've got to, I've got to figure out a way to do this. And from that moment, it took me about 10 months to to save the right amount of money, to get the right amount of equipment, to take the avalanche course, to do a bit of physical training, to sort out, you know, what was I going to do with the apartment that I owned? You know, all of those kind of logistical details. And then I left in June of 2010 on that trip. June of 2010 to ski 4 million feet. Yeah. And I know the the book <laughs> dives into a lot of this, so I don't want to spoil anything. But what would you say was something that a lot of people ask you about that experience that was, is maybe a misconception or is maybe something that you want to mention about it that that you don't you don't often get the chance to? That's a gr- that's a great question. So a couple of things on the book itself and on the, on the journey itself, I, I meet a person early on a romantic interest early on, on the trip. And we part ways and, and I continue on, on my trip and he continues on with his life. And we're like, yeah, well, next time, if I'm, if I'm in North America, maybe we'll meet up (laughs) a lot, a lot, a lot of people are like, I can't believe you didn't, stop the trip and and follow this love interest that is a very very telling comment especially because it's one i get a lot about the i don't know whether expectations is the right word but about the kind of fairy tale actually mm. that a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of women are are kind of expected to live within or or expect out of their lives like did you go for the adventure or did you go to like have this romantic thing and and then and then have your life quote unquote unfold from there and so i think it's just a very very telling question from a uh, uh, what is the, what is in our society, when we look at fairy tales, you know, what is the traditional female role in those fairy tales and what happens to women in fairy tales? 
And I think that was, that is actually, you know, spoiler alert, like why I ended up with that person in the long run is because I chose myself. Like I chose to stick with my adventure and I chose, I knew if I had followed him in that moment, there would always be something I would be able to like hold, hold with resentment. So that's, that's one part. And I think, again, as I said, I think it's very telling of like the female fairy tale, um, how we buy into that. The second thing, I mean, I get a lot of questions that are, that are logistical. How did you afford it? You know, uh, how did you plan for it? Those types of things. This isn't necessarily about the book, Mason, but before I went, I, I got, I get kind of a comment that's like either, you know, good for you, look at you living the dream, but I have this reality. And that's an interesting kind of conversation I also get a lot of, it sounds something like you should have, there should have been a different reason. Like you should have had a charity involved. You should have like, who who were you to just set off on this adventure without like, you weren't skiing around the world for cancer. You weren't like, I got, I got that asked that a lot as I was preparing. There was a couple of places that were interested, that found out about the story and got interested. And I would actually be like on air with a TV person be like, okay, great. So where can people donate? And I'm like, oh, well, like there is no place to donate. Like I'm just, I'm do, I'm just doing this. And they're like, isn't there a cause? And let me be perfectly clear. I am gung-ho and a huge believer in people taking cause-based adventures and raising money for places. And it's, it, that's fantastic. And we are allowed to choose our own adventure and we are allowed to say us on our own is a good enough reason for us to, to seek out uh, nature and to seek out adventure. So that's that's something that came up a lot in the early early days of of the journey. That's those are two really interesting insights. We had back in the fall, we had Stacy Gold on the show. Don't know if you've ever heard of her, a writer in the outdoor industry. She writes novels like, you know, basically romance novels that are about, you know, that have have an outdoor adventure setting like through hiking with a PCT or something. Yeah. And, you know, the characters, you know, or the main character is an independent woman who oftentimes it's basically flipping the script on what right, right. contemporary, you know, romance novels have been. And it or makes it a little more, you know, more equal at least, or at least the woman is not, you know, just following the guy everywhere. And uh, right. it, it's pretty interesting. And it's some, it's some, I love, I love it because my grandmothers, you know, <laughs> grew up, I, I just saw those books on their nightstands or in the bathroom all the time. And I just thought, yeah, I thought that's interesting. That's really interesting. And, and, and look what, well, look what happened. And also that's not real life. Your story was real life. It wasn't, you were kind of bound by the truth of what happened, not by what you kind of want to happen or what everybody wanted to happen for you, like in a fairy tale, which is obviously a lot more interesting because you don't know where it's going to end, but look what ended up happening full circle. Yeah, absolutely. Like I had a lot of people say that like, Oh, you're going to meet somebody. And I was like, well, if I do, I do, but that, that's not what I'm going. That's not what you're going you for. Know, I'm, no. I'm going to, to meet, to meet, I think what I would have described at the time was like to meet my own purpose, to meet yeah. um, the, the aim of my life. And, and really now looking back, I think I, w- I was going to meet myself. Gosh, we could dive so far into that. A year of that unbelievable amount of experiences and every inch of snow being a new, new, um, new places, new faces, 
I'm yeah. sure it, I'm sure it felt like five years in a lot of ways. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But for your second point, uh, that's really interesting. We have a we have an adventure grant open right now. It'll be closed by the time this comes out, but we're giving away some money to someone, do, you know, three people doing adventures this year. And we do have one of the qualifiers or one of the things we will consider is impact on the world through doing it for some sort of cause. I think that's one of the best combinations in the world is adventure and purpose. Absolutely. Outside of yourself. But I do say it with the footnote that, hey, most of my trips are just for me. So, you know, if you're right. doing it, without a quote cause that's okay that's good just doing it is a good enough reason to do it it's almost like with with conservation which i do a lot of work in just protecting nature is enough there doesn't need to be another layer of purpose behind it just keeping it from being disturbed is enough of a reason to protect it um and it's the same with adventures just adventure itself is fine so now looking back and there's some more time between you and this project, not just completing it, but also the writing. Mm-hmm. What is one thing that you feel like you've recently learned about the experience looking back? Because I'm, I'm sure lessons keep coming. Absolutely. Absolutely. They do. I think when I look back now, you know, o- over the last couple of years, I think one of the biggest things that I've, I've learned about what that experience really was, was like a year long moving meditation. I think it, I I spent a lot of time on my own in a repetitive kind of quote unquote steady state movement. Like, you know, when, just like if someone's been a long distance runner for a long time, like, of course, yes, that's a lot of movement, but they can get into a flow and a steady state with it. That just feels like second nature. And, And similarly to me with, with skiing. And so when I look back now, I think, oh my gosh, I was, I was putting myself into a flow state, a meditative flow state for hours and hours a day, day after day after day. And when I think about that now, I think what that provided me with was a foundation for flow state and finding peace and steadiness and nervous system regulation. And that is applicable across a multitude of different avenues in my life. Um, First and foremost, that became applicable in, in writing. So once I did start the creative process and tapped into kind of those initial fleeting moments of flow state within it, I was like, oh, I recognize this feeling. Like, this is just like when I was skiing. And I thought, wow, like I could achieve the same kind of flow state doing a completely different, like quote unquote, non-physical activity. A lot of my writing comes to me while I'm walking actually, but, but a lot of it's also when I'm sitting in my chair. I, I also find that to be applicable in, in any places that are times and spaces and states of uncertainty. And that landscape of uncertainty mixed with varying degrees of, of grief, et cetera, has been, I don't want to say easy for me, but I understand the various different tools that are, that are at my disposal when it comes to finding a peaceful kind of Zen steady state, not to bypass grief, not to like skip over it, but to actually sink into it and just sit there with a relative degree of comfort. So that, that all came from that trip that I didn't, I didn't know that until a couple of years ago. 
I, I, I love that. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. You know, when you invest in yourself and you do adventures, I, it's just, it changes your life, changes your life. But, you know, and speaking of that, that's one one more thing I want to explore before jumping into everything left to remember or really the space in between the two books. One theme that came out of that is you don't have to, I don't know, be in a state of tragedy or brokenness to make a big change in your life. I thought that was a really interesting theme because, uh, you know, a lot of stories we hear on the show, a lot of, you know, amazing works uh, from film to books to, uh, you know, music come from huge, unavoidable changes that happen, whether it be a car accident or, you know, a diagnosis or a tragedy of some sort. Why don't we need those to make changes sometimes when life is, quote, in a good place, but we know we're not living at our best? I have a a handful of stories about this, and I think it's a really, really important conversation. So absolutely, we need examples of how to pick ourselves up or change our lives or create a different um, trajectory or momentum when when things have have fallen apart, gone wrong, exploded, et cetera, right? So using the examples that you said, like I lost my job or I got this diagnosis or, you know, the house burned down quite literally or figuratively. And I need to know how to rise from the ashes. I need to know how to pick myself up and move through what I would call in kind of like archetypal mythological terms, the life cycle, the master initiation that occurs in life, which is life, death, life. And so when we experience that death, metaphorical or literal, we need examples of how to create and regenerate and make new life from that. So those are imperative in our society and in our storytelling and in our, and in our lived experience. I, I am also a huge believer, as, as you've kind of said and, and alluded to, in that um, we don't need to, to wait for those things to happen. We don't need to put energy in into them happening in order to shift our lives into something more different, better, more authentic, more in integrity, more fulfilling, et cetera. And I think, I think it takes a lot of courage to say, my life is pretty good. And, and to be getting feedback from the people around you, like, good for you. You've been following the rules. You've got this great life. Like for us to say, yeah, but it doesn't feel quite right. Like there's a lot of feedback that we get in our lives. That's like, Ooh, you should just be happy with that and not, you know, ruffle any feathers. This message is particularly strong for women, but it is a message that is across the board. This is uh, goes back to maybe what I would call like some of the quintessential like storytelling and, and our kind of master myth. So there's been a lot of study put into myth and storytelling through time and, and era, et cetera. And, and the primary kind of person who did that is a guy named Joseph Campbell. And, and he studied what would be called the master myth, which, is, which he, he labeled the hero's journey. And one of the primary ingredients for the hero's journey is, is boredom and discontent. It's not catastrophe. It's boredom and discontent. So let's take um, let's take Star Wars as an example of that, right? So you watch the movie Star Wars, and the initial scene is Luke Skywalker, and he is living on 
a beige planet that I think is called like Tatooine. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> but he's living nor, on nor a beige planet. Nor do I. Planet. I'm not. I'm not yeah, a... <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's living on a beige planet and he's a moisture farmer. Like you can't get much more boring, like just going through the motions than that. What happens is a hologram, uh, he's bored and discontent and wondering what, what is this life? Is this all there is to life? There's no house burning down. There's no major catastrophe. There's no, he's, he's just bored and discontent and questioning and curious. And then a holographic message from a droid comes down and, and sets this adventure in motion. So you could extend this out to Harry Potter. You could extend this out to the matrix. You could extend this out. You know, there's so many movies, so much, so much of our storytelling centers on this idea of boredom and discontent and that that is the primary ingredient required for us to be called into adventure or called into the hero or the heroine's journey now our typical reaction to boredom and discontent as i said before was like "Mm, i don't know dude like you got it pretty good like i think maybe you should stay in that marriage like you know you could have it worse you know that kind of thing And so I think those of us who are able to get very, very curious in that state of boredom and discontent and and make moves from that place, like it's going to lead to a much, much easier hero's journey than "Mm, I am going to stay. I am going to, you know, and and then things start to simmer and then simmer turns into resentment and then resentment turns into anger. And then we're having fights with our spouse and then things are getting nasty and then the marriage explodes. And then, you know, there's, there's a, and then we make a move. I think it takes a lot of courage to say to, I'll use marriage as an example, right? To, to say to a partner who we know it's, this isn't the deal. This isn't, we're not supposed to be together. It takes a huge amount of courage to be able to say, I love myself so much and I love you so much that we're going to end this now instead of us hauling each other down a path until it gets to explosion and then making a move from there for the betterment of our lives. Like, what if we had the courage? What if we could summon the courage to do that now? Oh yeah. How many? How many? How many few? How fewer people will be harmed? You know, maybe there's going to be including ourselves. People, yeah, including ourselves. Maybe there's going to be a lot of people who don't understand us. Like, and that's okay. Like, can we summon that courage? Now, again, this isn't to say that there aren't times where life just does explode. Right? There are some things that that we can't help, and. That's a big question for me. Like, do I have the courage to say to the people in my life, to look at my own business and say, hey, there's there's something really off about this particular product or this revenue stream or this type of, you know, this type of relationship, et cetera. And do I have the courage to say, I think that means it's supposed to come to an end before things get like bitter or I've got to do layoffs or, you know, the, the program, the container explodes or, you know, various different things. And, you know, this is kind of like, you know, do we have the courage to go out on a high or to go out on a, it's a high and we can feel it going downwards and we know the direction it's going in. So those are, that's a, a really, I think we really, really need examples of both of People who have had the fire come in and how they rise from the ashes. We need that storytelling. And we need 
storytelling that that says I I I sense I sense there could be ashes around the corner and and I'm I'm I've been sitting in this boredom and discontent for a while and and you know what we all we all deserve uh, thriving and flourishing and let's go try and find it. I love that and I love that you tied in the hero's journey because yeah that that first step the call to adventure that that, that takes you out of the ordinary world that That's right. ca- that call is yeah it, it's not it doesn't have to be something that that is uh, you know forces your hand you know like you're saying like to do it yourself i find it a little more not impressive it, everybody's different every situation's unique That's right. uh, but yeah. for the people that have no real need to do that, but do it anyway, I, you know, that's, I find that pretty powerful compared to, you know, the, the, uh, it's less common as well. And, it, and, I, and I think it does take more discipline, more courage sometimes. And heck, I, I know, I don't mean to like always tie in work and I try not to do it too much, but the job I'm at with Athletic Brewing, this whole company was started by someone who had an amazing life who just decided I want to have a bigger impact on the world. Here's how I want to do that. And I'm leaving really what is a very set life to take this totally, you know, unknown path that no one's ever taken. Literally no one's ever done this. And and it's like, if people don't do that, we don't have a lot of things in this world. We don't have books like unbound. We don't have your story. And anything that will come out of that and all the inspiration that has caused. So that's really interesting that that, uh, looking back that, that you took the steps you needed to when you didn't necessarily quote have to. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's turned into, you know, to go back to one of your previous questions, like what's a question you get asked a lot about the book, you know, I, I, after people read the book, they're like, okay, great. Like what's, what else is on your bucket list? Like what else are you going to do? And that's also dramatically changed. Like what is, what, 15 years ago, what was on my bucket list was like a hundred things of like travel to Botswana, do this next adventure, you know, move over here, live yeah. for a year yeah. and, you know, et cetera. And, and now there really is two things. There is, am I listening for the call to adventure? And when I hear it, do I have the courage to say yes? And I, and I think what you said before, like there's, a, there's ingredients in that, as we've talked about, like boredom and discontent being one of them. And I would say prolonged boredom and discontent, right? This isn't just like, oh, I was bored for half an hour, but, um, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) um, you know, I I think, you know, one of the other ingredients to this is practice, right? Like, can you, can you do this just on a small, like before you, you know, maybe it's a little bit too scary to like up and change your whole life. But can you do this on a smaller scale with like, Hey, you know, I'm kind of bored and discontent with, you know, our nightly routine, like, what if we signed up for a painting classes instead? Or what if we, you know, took a um, backcountry, you know, ice, ice camping course? Uh, what would that lead to? You know, can, can we do these on, on smaller scales and practice listening for that call to adventure, listening for what comes forward when we are in a state of boredom? And, and I think that's been a really important component, because for me, when I go back to that bucket list of, am I listening for the call to adventure? And do I have the courage to say yes? You know, now fast forward, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, that's a practice I'm deeply engaged in is, am I listening on a, am I present enough? Am I listening on a multitude of different levels for 
what my life is calling to me to, to do and be next or in this moment. And, and that's something that's been a really important component of, of the, the, the kind of post unbound journey. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, at some point you, you th- with this particular story and a part of the hero's journey, you come back and uh, you come back changed, you know, step 10 is the road back. There's a resurrection. And then, you know, step right. the last step is return being for that next hero's journey, being ready, adventure ready. You know, that is yeah, a huge yeah, step of yeah. it. Practicing it is, and, and a lot of people, like I, I run into this a lot too, with folks who have done really big adventures like that. Uh, it's like, well, what do I do now? Nothing can really quote top that top on that. paper. Yeah, yeah. But I would say as someone who's also done, you know, some pretty big quote trips or experiences, those small micro adventures are, they absolutely scratch the itch. They are absolutely worthwhile and don't neglect those just because they're not as big as your last trip, but go and do them because it keeps you ready for that next. It keeps your eyes kind of looking for those opportunities uh, and it keeps those skills sharpened in something we practice or I try to practice and and engage because my wife and I, she's not as much like this, but she loves it when we do this is being just being spontaneous yeah. I love yeah. being spontaneous. So when there's a chance, just quick story. I try not to tell too many stories here, but no, please. there was a huge plume of smoke pouring up. It looked like just out in the, uh, towards, towards the north of our house a couple of weeks ago. And I said, let's just go see what that is. We're on our way home from something. She's like, ah, I don't know. You know, the kids have, you know, we, there's always a reason not to do things. And I was like, let's just go see. <laughs> and it was this giant, it was like 15 minutes up the road. Unfortunately, it was a scrapyard that was on fire, but it was one of the coolest looking things ever. We stopped there for like an hour and a half and watched it. And she wanted me to leave her there for like hours. She's like, I will sit here and watch this for hours. Go, you know, put the kids to bed and come back and get me. This is amazing. And I just think that was one small decision. And it opened up this world of something we'd never seen and something that is not going to be there tomorrow. It was seemingly a, a minuscule experience or, 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 or more of an inconvenience than anything. It ended up being this really cool kind of punctuation to that month, you know, remember that week, like something really cool we did that we didn't know was going to happen. And it was just like being more willing to do those small adventures really do level up to those big ones. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that story. It's I hate the all the smoke that went in the air, but you know, it's it's not much we could do about it. But right. if you don't mind, I'd love to ask a little bit about everything left to remember. Now, between the two projects, I know Unbound came out in 2017, Everything Left to Remember 2022, but the experiences that were associated with those books were also roughly equal distance apart. I know they happened earlier because then you had to write about it, but what were those years in between the books like? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that helped make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. The years in between, so the the first couple of years after Unbound, after the ski trip, I wouldn't say after after Unbound, the book, but like after the actual ski trip were were tough for me. They were you know, kind of, I think, fueled by adrenal burnout and real levels of exhaustion. And it took me, it took me a little while to recover from that. I think the thing that really helped me 
recover from that was the creative process. And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier that once I, because I was in such adrenal burnout, it was really hard for me to find any sort of flow states from an athletic or an outdoors or a physical standpoint. And that was really hard. And I know a lot of other athletes and adventurers who have that kind of adrenal burnout or that peak experience and and kind of depression after peak experience or an injury. It's like, we can't find the kind of awe and bliss that we have found in the past. And I think when I, when I discovered that that was available to me in the writing process, it really, really started to shift things like, Oh my gosh, the same feeling is available in, in a new place. And so that was, that was phenomenal. And, and I really started engaging deeply in the writing process in 2014 and 2015. And uh, simultaneously, uh, as I was writing Unbound, I started to notice a lot of shifts and changes in my mother, who was 63, 64, 65, kind of at the time. And long story short, what ended up happening is I finished Unbound and that was off getting edited and published. And and between the the finishing of the project and it actually coming out into the world, my mom was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And shortly after that diagnosis, her and I uh, went on a a camping trip together. I, I took her for couple of weeks to give to give my dad a little bit, bit of a break to have a, a bit of an adventure with her and, and really some time in nature as I said before in the interview like my mom really her energy really shifted in nature and I and I knew that doing something a little bit more outdoorsy would 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 kind of knock her socks off and and I think I thought she would really enjoy it so about 10 months after her diagnosis we went on a on a two-week adventure through the national parks of the Rockies West so Yellowstone in and around in and around Jackson Hole we went through Wyoming we went through Montana it, Idaho it was fantastic and so I didn't plan on writing about that Unbound came out into the world I, I went on kind of a, a whirlwind with book tours with different speaking with you know lots of stuff going on in my career and and when that kind of shifted and as my mom was progressing it, it just became really really clear to me that I would be that was my next writing project was to write about that trip and reflect on on the mother-daughter uh, relationship and and really to do a a different type you know unbound is as as you know uh is a, a really adventure focused book and everything left to remember also includes an adventure you know there's not this massive physical goal of like okay mom let's hike four million vertical feet but 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 kind of can can nature be a healer in, in, you know, a similar but different way? You know, when I did Unbound, I would describe that as, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at things from a female initiation standpoint, there's, there's maiden, mother, autumn, queen, crone, you know, the masculine standpoint would be, you know, knight, father, magician, king. So Unbound for me was that maiden initiation and everything left to remember really, really was an initiation into archetypal, you know, mother and the utilization of the outdoors and the utilization of, of nature in both of those was, was profound for me, but in wildly different ways. So your reaction to your mother 
having this diagnosis was to take her on this adventure out in nature, experience a lot of these places that y'all had, you know, enjoyed or hadn't visited yet. Not sure, but what what was the reaction by a lot of your siblings? Did did they want to go on this experience? Was this something special between y'all? Because you mentioned, you know, at least three other siblings. How did they want to respond to it? I think a couple of different things. It's it's interesting. I've I've not I've had a lot of questions about uh, how my siblings have responded to it post, but but not kind of like in the midst of it. I, I think when I when I thought of the trip, I just thought, oh, let's you know, let's just like to have it just be mom and I for you know these ten days and go camping and that type of thing. Again, going back to to my siblings, I number one, I didn't think of opening the trip up to, hey, let's have a gaggle of us go together for a couple of different reasons. Number one, all of my my siblings at the time had young kids and still do, a lot of them still do have young kids and extraordinarily busy lives. Like they couldn't just like, oh, four weeks from now, drop of a hat, let's, let's take off on this adventure. Secondly, the outdoor component I don't think is of terrible interest. Like, I don't know that how many nights each of them have like slept in a tent. Um, not that I had done a lot of that in the past, but I kind of, I didn't think it would be of interest to be honest, to be, to, to, to go camping in that way. I think third, there, there's probably an internal knowing for me of, I, I think I needed from a, from a landscape of grief really to have some solo time with her just just in in our relationship and how how I was going to navigate through you know what was going to what was on our plate and what was going to continue to be on our plate so I, I think that was a a big component of it and it really did like you know the idea came to me and I reached out to my to my dad and my mom and and said hey do you want to do this trip and it happened very quickly like we were you know on the road that next month so yeah yeah there wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh, of planning the call to adventure was uh Quick, quick turnaround there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so was the hope here to one have some amazing memories with your mother, but what two was it for maybe to combat this Alzheimer's with things that really stood out in her mind? Because you know, you know as well as I do, you know, you you do one thing different, and it can really make an experience be be less forgettable like the one night you sleep on your back porch versus the countless nights you stay in your own bed, you know, adding that interesting, uh, unique element can really make it stand out. I don't know. Was that the hope as well? Or one of, one of the potential outcomes you were hoping for? That's interesting. You know, I I hadn't, I've never thought about that. That's a really um, astute and interesting observation. That was not on my mind. I think two things the first is the call to adventure. So what we had talked about earlier, am I listening to the call and do I have the courage to say yes? I felt as though there was an, a really strong intuitive hit. You're supposed to go back to this place, Yellowstone. You're supposed to bring someone. It's supposed to be your mom. It was, it was a very strong sensation. And what I would call, what I had been practicing over the last, you know, at that point, six or seven years in my life was, are you listening to the call? And will you say yes? And I I felt very clear that was the call. And so um, the, the goal there in my mind is, do you have the courage to say yes, even though you don't really know why you're doing it? So 
go do this trip with your mom. You're supposed to go back to this place. You don't really know why, other than it'll be beautiful and you'll probably enjoy it. There doesn't have to be another larger purpose. So that was that was number one. I felt a call. I wanted to respond yes to it. Not entirely knowing what it would turn into. The second part is, you know, there is a stage in the progression of various different forms of dementia and Alzheimer's where, where there is enough of, of that person still remaining. And there's a, there's a window of that. I think that, that is to be taken advantage of, you know, what you don't, you do not have a lot of time inside of that window and, and I, I just, I really wanted to be able to do something with her inside of what I knew was going to come to an end. Like there would be a time where there wouldn't be enough of her mentally still there to do a trip like that. And then, you know, fast forward a couple of years, there wouldn't be enough time to do a, a, a trip physically with her like that. So that was something that I, I really, I, I felt a high degree of urgency around. Urgency. See, see, that's that's an interesting. You know, it, you don't want to feel rushed when you're out doing something like this. But you, I, I always do, even though because I know it's bittersweet. You know, it's going to come to an end. You know, no matter how yeah. much time you have, you, you know what's coming to an end. And, and for you, getting out there and making this happen, I'm sure had a totally different feeling around it than, you know, the experience with Unbound, which, you know, you have a time limit there you're shooting for, just, you know, visas and whatnot, but different kind of urgency here. Yeah, there, that's exactly it. It's a different kind of urgency. So I I think, and my experience has been that there's been a kind of urgency in my life that has included elements of scarcity that make me, like, not want things to end, rushing to get to hurry, hurry, hurry over here. But then once I get there, I'm scared of this ending. And then so I keep going over there. Like it's that there's this kind of hectic urgency. Mm. This felt this felt different to me in that I, I did know that there was a limit. I did know that there was some scarcity, but this sense of urgency felt more like a calm voice that was like, be here now. Like you, you must do this now. And you must be present within it. And that actually is a kind of scarcity, uh, sorry, a kind of urgency that to me has an abundance within it as opposed to a scarcity within it. It's because it's like, you know, that you can't do any more than that. You know, that's right. That's right. Like this moment with her is, is abundant and enough and you must be present for it. And that kind of call to that immediacy and that kind of presence is I think where a lot of connection, awe, wonder occur for us. And that's a continuous thing that I'm attempting to discern is the level of urgency I feel. Does it have scarcity and hecticness and vigilance? And um, is the pace inside of my body moving really quick or panicky? Or does the urgency that I feel have abundance, expansiveness, um, inertia, presence, curiosity. And it's the latter type of urgency that I like to move into. Between the two books, you know, Unbound felt like, hey, here's something really cool 
that I did and what I learned about it. And it's kind of the beginning of a journey, whereas everything left to remember is, is almost the beginning of what you know is an end of a journey. How has it felt promoting the two? You know, Unbound, there was a speaking engagement. It was, you know, a handful of years ago now where you're talking about that. This is, uh, you know, a story you didn't think you were going to write, but now you're, 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 you release this book and you're getting out there. How does it feel different with talking about it and promoting it and, and, and like getting the word out there about these two very different stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the, the actual journeys took place years apart and, and, and I think there's a, there's a process that I've been through over the years that has, made it really, really easy for me to openly talk about both journeys. Like I have, I have no, people are like, you know, are there any topics off limits or how do you feel about talking about the books? Like, I'm like, great, either one, I can, I can sit and have expansive, wonderful, long conversations about either. When it comes to the actual promotion, like when I move into the idea of like marketing a book, selling a book, helping the publisher get the word out, et cetera. I have had direct conversations with my publisher in regards to the second book that, that I have said, I will talk to anybody. I'll do any interview. I will happily share this experience. Like that's part of the reason that I wrote a book. Like, right. um, you, you, you know, I, I believe this story should move into the world and, and, and be with people and, and have them have their own experience with it. That being said, the, the sales marketing and promotion of it, I've had to really step back from, away from, adjacent to, I'd probably say adjacent to, you know, someone else has got to take the lead on that in, in regards to this book, because it's a very, um, it's a very, very tricky kind of internal integrity balance. You know, I'll, I'll give a perfect example. There's a lot of books that come out now that do pre-sale campaigns where, you know, you pre-order the book and you get this free downloadable you know, guide to the national parks, say. Yeah. And so I remember, you know, months, months, months before um, everything left to member came out, we were headed down that track. Like, okay, let's let's do what is standard in the industry and and create the pre-sale bonus or whatever. And and I, I just I, everything in my body just halted and was like, wait a second, like I can't I can't do a pre-sale bonus for a book about the you know ongoing loss of my mother, like that doesn't feel an integrity to me. And that doesn't mean that those things can't happen, but I can't, I can't be the one leading them. So that's, that's just shifted the landscape of it. As I said, like, and as you can, I hope tell in this conversation, I, I'm absolutely happy to be in and engage in conversations um, about the journeys, about the books, about the impact, the writing process, all of that. They felt like very, very different books to sell and market. So what, what, I don't know, are you, can you, can you update us on your mother and that journey and also maybe what you might know is coming up for you versus, yeah, I I know that your next, if you, if you plan on writing another book, if you want to, I know you probably, you might not know yet because they seem to come pretty organically, but what can you tell us about it? what's coming for you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for asking my mom. She, she's still with us. She's in a, in a care home up in British Columbia and, and seems, you know, she's in late stage Alzheimer's now, but seems, you know, fairly content actually in that, in that place. And I get to see her, you know, every couple of months, I'll be seeing her next week actually, which would be great. 
So she's doing, she's doing as well as, as can be in the world. And there's just ongoing kind of navigation within the family and our various different grieving processes and the ambiguous grief that comes along, of course, with, with uh, longer term degenerative diseases. In regards to, to my own, you know, work in the world, uh, ongoing is, you know, for 10 years side by side with the writing has been an ongoing private practice um, coaching and mentorship company that I, that I run, that I um, do retreats with, that I do one-on-one work, that I do facilitations and speaking and, you know, all of that's going to continue. At, at some point last year, I, I, I used to run a lot of online programs. And at some point last year, I, I heard the same kind of, this is a theme through the conversation. I heard the same kind of, okay, slow that down. I, you know, just, just a, a call to maybe move in a different direction. And so I've placed a lot of that work to the side and started to really kind of clear some space first and foremost for what I'll call like my own joy and my own adventure. I really wanted 2023 to be, to be, to have the flexibility and the freedom outside of programs, outside of book publishing, outside of writing deadlines, et cetera, to be able to say, yeah, I'm coming up to Alberta for a ski trip. Yeah. I'm going to, um, you know, do, do this trip with my friends over here and just include a little bit more adventure than the last couple of years have, have included. And, and with that, what I'm starting to notice is the only way I can describe it, Mason, is is this like very, very, very initial gathering energy or kind of inertia that I suspect some more writing is coming, but I'm not actively in the phase of writing. And, and that's that fits with a lot of the different things. You know, when we create space in our lives is oftentimes when new ideas, when new creations, you know, can come forward. Nature abhors a vacuum. You know, if you create some space, something's going to come and fill it. And so I'm getting very, very, very intentional about holding that space open and looking at what, what wants to step in and fill that space. So it's, it's a nice time in my life, actually. It feels really, life feels very smooth, very calm, very present. And, and there's a lot of curiosity. Those are, those are good elements for adventure and good elements for creativity. Best things anybody could ever call me is curious. So yeah. if if you're feeling like you're you're in a place in life where that's you know going strong, good good for you. That's yeah. a wonderful place yeah. to be. You never know what's going to come out of that. That's right. That's right. Wonderful. Well, Steph, I, I really appreciate you being on. Was there anything else you want to share? We're obviously going to point folks to get your book, but where where would you like folks to go? Would it be your website? Yeah, the, the easiest places to go, there's there's the website at Steph Jagger, there's Instagram at Steph Jagger, and and you know, probably the the easiest and best way to keep in touch is is through the free monthly newsletter. I have a newsletter called Everything Left, and that's you know, you can sign up on Instagram or on on the website. And that's a that's a great way to kind of keep a steady stream of connection. Steph, thank you so much for joining us on Adventure Sports Podcast and can't wait to get this out there. Thanks, Mason. Thank you so much for your time. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. 
And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.